It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, might as well say, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Good morning, Kettlebrook family. Uh, how are you guys today? <laughs> so uh, clearly, um, you can uh, see if you know me at all that um, I might have taken a few of my uh, dressing cues from Mr. Rogers. <laughs> you gotta love Mr. Rogers. Um, actually, what's kind of funny is uh, when I was growing up. Uh, Truthfully, I, I only thought Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was, was only okay. I only kind of liked his show. Uh, it just wasn't super dynamic, you know, but I liked his gentleness and that, and that soothing quality about him. Uh, and it wasn't until much later when I was an adult that I came to find out that Fred Rogers was a follower of Jesus. Uh, and in fact, he went to seminary to become a pastor, but... After graduating seminary, the, the school leaders, they usually would place you in a ministry, and what they said to him is, we want you to continue to do what you're doing. We want you to continue your show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And in the show, of course, every morning, uh, we were all invited to into Mr. Rogers' home, his TV home. No matter who we were, we were welcomed, and maybe, and even especially, the stranger was welcomed. And, and beyond the show... Fred Rogers was exactly the same in real life. Uh, there's this incredible interview of him where the interviewer, who was a, a total stranger, was not just welcomed by Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers. He was, he was invited into his life and into his home, and he was treated immediately like family. Uh, he was loved and served and shown true hospitality. Uh, we're, we're on our last three weeks of gathering together uh, as a family here in Kewaskum before we rejoin our greater Kettlebrook family in West Bend. And, and it really does seem quite appropriate that we are beginning this morning a very short series on hospitality. And the subtitle for our series on hospitality is Redemptive Inconvenience. Uh, and, and earlier we were, we were invited into... Uh, maybe what was probably more of a familiar uh, scenario of, of family life, a family moment with that great skit from Courtney and Scott uh, about what maybe sometimes hospitality actually feels like a little bit more often to us. Uh, but, we'll, we'll, but we know that's, that's not really what hospitality is supposed to look like. That's not what it's supposed to be. Uh, in fact, the official definition for hospitality uh, is this here. So you throw that up for me, Steve. There we go. The friendly reception and treatment of guests or strangers and the quality or disposition of receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, and generous way. Uh, that's okay. I feel like it still doesn't nail it though, right? For me, it doesn't. 
And when you guys think of that word hospitality, you know, what, starts, what starts running through your mind? You know, maybe, maybe we think of hosting parties. Uh, maybe we think um, almost along the lines of being taken care of, like southern hospitality, um, the hospitality industry, Cochran's B&B, right? Um, maybe we think of a time when, when someone, you know, maybe think of a time when someone took you in and made you feel like family. And for me, that's, that's my story. Uh, my understanding of hospitality, uh, full and true hospitality, is, is permanently linked to a small apartment in New York City and a couple named Scott and Dorota. Uh, Scott was the uncle of my friend, and um, he, he and his girlfriend treated me a, a total stranger like family. For, for two weeks, they, they fed us, entertained us, took us all over New York, and even gave us their bedroom while they slept on the floor in another room. I was 18. It was, it was my first big trip out on my own, and it forever shaped my concept of hospitality. Our series aims to biblically reshape our concept of hospitality. Uh, and I, I want to show another uh, short video here uh, that does a great job of framing the hospitality, framing hospitality in that biblical mindset, uh, getting our heads around this concept of redemptive inconvenience. So let's take a look. Ever since I was a child growing up by the rice paddies of Indonesia, I've known what it feels like to be an outsider. Born into a missionary family, I learned early on what it's like being a stranger in a foreign land and I identified with other outsiders that I met along the way. But in every place I lived, the table has always been a place of welcome. It's a place where people slow down, let down their guards, tell stories, and connect. When I'm seated at a table with steaming food and diverse people around me, I feel more alive than any other place. It wasn't until later in life that I realized this transforming effect of the table, this deep sense of home and belonging I felt, was an experience of hospitality and part of a bigger story, the Christian story. It was the story of God welcoming humanity into God's love and kingdom family and then urging those welcome to pay it forward to extend the welcome they received to others. I learned that the culminating story in scripture is of a great heavenly wedding feast where God and God's people from every tribe and nation will gather around an exquisite banquet table. The more I studied, I also came to realize that Christian hospitality is much more than having friends over for dinner. Hospitality in Greek is philozenia, literally, love of the stranger. And that's what it meant in the ancient world, loving or taking responsibility for the well-being of a stranger. God instructed the Hebrew people to remember what it felt like to be foreigners in Egypt and to deal justly with strangers in their own land. The early Christians, living as a persecuted minority within the Roman Empire, strongly identified with outsiders and were well respected for how they cared for the vulnerable. And Jesus himself was very clear about loving the stranger in Matthew 25. He tells his disciples that when they serve the least of these, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and the prisoner, they were in fact serving him in disguise. Philozinia. Um, it, it, there's often other places where they, they say xenophilia. It's, it's the same concept. 
It's the, it's the Greek word that's translated as hospitality in the New Testament, and it means love of the stranger. Uh, elders are expected to demonstrate this quality. Uh, widows in the church were to be known for having this quality. Paul encourages us to practice this quality. And Jesus said displaying this quality of loving the stranger would be attributed to loving him. So in fact, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look a little closer uh, at a short passage of scripture where Jesus talks about loving the stranger. And so if you have a Bible with you, uh, pull that out. Uh, if you would like a Bible to use Scott is willing to get one for you, so wave at Scott. He'd love to bring one up to you. Thank you, Scott, for doing that. Um, So we're going to be looking at Luke 14. So turn with me to Luke 14. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 14. Again, if you'd like a Bible, just wave at Scott. He'll bring one up to you. Uh, And as you're turning there, let me me put this into context. Um, So a couple of weeks ago, Troy Lather, our West Bend site pastor, preached from this same um, chapter, actually, the verses just preceding this, and he was teaching on humility. Uh, Jesus was invited to a Sabbath meal at a prominent Pharisee's house, and a man was there who was paralyzed, uh, who may have been a plant brought there to test Jesus. And he, but the thing is, he probably wasn't really there as an invited guest an actual guest of the host. And so after healing the man, Jesus then talks about how guests shouldn't pick the places of honor. And in verse 12 is right when we pick up in our section. So let's take a look at Luke 14, verses 12 through 14. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It's a short little passage, so let's, let's actually take a moment and pray uh, before we jump in any further. Father, uh, I thank you for this opportunity to gather in Kiwaskum uh, with with our, uh, our family. And, and so I ask that you would continue to lead our family in the truth of your word, in the truth of discipleship, of what it means to follow Jesus. And I ask that uh, this morning you would open our hearts to what it is that you were trying to teach back then and you were wanting us to learn as your disciples, as your followers, and that you would open up our hearts to um, this unique and, and challenging teaching. And so I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Jesus was often concerned about not seeking repayment from others, not seeking kudos or affirmation, but only seeking recognition from God, right? And, and doing things that only God would see. And, and this passage is really a great example of that. And I think we'd be actually really missing something important if we forgot about the paralyzed guy that Jesus healed just before this. Uh, the man that was there either as a beggar or, or maybe a plant that was, that was put there by the Pharisees meant to test Jesus, but who was most certainly not an actual invited guest of the host. He was not a real guest at this party. Uh, the real guests were probably relatives, friends, prominent people, rich neighbors, the kind of people that Jesus just told the host in verse 12, um, that he shouldn't invite, and who were probably all within earshot of hearing this 
And clearly Jesus is not afraid of creating awkward moments. And the reason Jesus gives for not inviting these kind of people is because Jesus says, they may invite you back and you'll be repaid. And then in verse 13, Jesus says, when we host a meal, we should invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, people like the uninvited crippled man that Jesus just healed. And if we do that, we'll be blessed and we'll receive repayment from God himself at the resurrection. And then that's it. And then Jesus goes from there and he tells the group a parable. So these are just two short verses, but I actually think that there's a lot there that we can really unpack. And I think what we actually need to do right off the bat, there's a couple of points of clarity that need to be made known right in the beginning. The first thing is to point out that just like the verses before this, where Jesus was talking about not taking seats of honor, Jesus isn't trying to tell us a sneaky way of being rewarded. If you do this, then you'll get that. No. That's not what's happening. And secondly, this isn't a formula to earn righteousness. Now, Jesus talks about repayment at the, at the resurrection of the righteous, but this isn't a formula to earn salvation or right standing with God. That would be advocating a works-based righteousness. Okay, so now we come to the real question. <laughs> Is Jesus really telling us that we shouldn't invite our friends and neighbors and um, or I should say, not poor neighbors uh, and, and family? We shouldn't invite them over for dinner? That's what we need to dig into a little bit. Xenophilia, love of the stranger. What happens when you continually love a stranger? Truly love them, embrace them, and know them? Well, they, they no longer say strangers, right? In fact, the more you love them and invite them into real relationship, uh, they go from having been a stranger to becoming family. And I, and I think this is at the heart of what Jesus is talking about. My dad is an electrical engineer, and uh, shortly into his working career, he had the opportunity to go to Germany for a couple of years. And um, we have relatives out there, but nowhere near where he was at. And almost immediately, um, you know, like he was basically alone. And, and almost immediately, this coworker realized this and invited and started inviting him over every Sunday for lunch, uh, afternoon, and, and, and for lunch. And every Sunday for two years, this guy just expected that my dad would be there and uh, to spend time with this man's family, to, to play with his kids, to be fed. He was basically treated like family, and they became like family to him. And he became like family to them and, and became like uncles to the kids. And uh, even though now, uh, so many years later, he's passed away, uh, my folks actually still stay in contact with his wife and his kids. Uh, and I even had the chance to uh, meet their family a couple of times, uh, uh, this extended family of ours on a couple of trips out to Germany. And, and when we got together, what did we do? Well, of course, we shared big meals. And, and that's where it all first started, around the table. As we've talked about quite often before, the table is that place uh, where the family gathers. And in this passage, Jesus talks about two distinct groups of people being invited to our tables. 
into our homes, into our tables. One group we know, they're like us. They're similar to us. They probably share the same politics and annoyances and challenges uh, that we do, right? We we get them. Uh, They make sense to us. They're easy to spend time with. And we like them for these reasons. Uh, The other group we don't know so well. Uh, They're not like us. They're not similar to us. They probably don't share the same politics, annoyances, or challenges that we do Uh, We don't get them. They don't make sense to us. Uh, They're not easy to spend time with. They probably frustrate us. They certainly don't bless us. And if we're honest, because of all that, we probably don't like them for those reasons. This latter group, group B, well, that's the group that Jesus says uh, we should be inviting over inviting into our tables. And if we're inviting them to our tables, truly seeking to love the stranger, it also means we're inviting them into real relationship and inviting them into family. So, Jesus definitely tells us, and this is important to know, in different places of Scripture, he definitely tells us to be serving the poor. This is not what he's talking about here. Jesus is not talking about a soup kitchen. Soup kitchens are good. I remember going plenty of times to the Milwaukee Rescue Mission, taking students out there as well, um, and that's, that's great, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here because at a soup kitchen, right, there's, there's a separation. On one side of, of the aisle or the table or the buffet line is a, a group of people wearing latex gloves and hairnets and nice clothes underneath. And of course, on on the other side are are a group of people that they're often unwashed. Um, they, They don't smell great. And sometimes they are wearing the only clothes that they have. And when you, when you show up to these events, what do you do? You, you, know, you prep the food, you serve the food, you clean the dishes, and you go home. And if there's any conversation, it's usually pretty short. It's pretty superficial. And I'm, I'm certainly not meaning to rag on, super, on soup kitchens at all um, because I think they serve a great purpose and they're often needed in order to actually feed those who are starving and poor and, and homeless. But Jesus isn't talking about a soup kitchen or simply feeding those with needs. He's talking about inviting them to our table. And by doing so, inviting them in to real relationship and into family. Why? There's a couple of great reasons that Jesus mentions, but I honestly think there's one thing that stands out above everything else. It's because we were the stranger. And the spiritually poor, crippled, lame, and blind. And Jesus took us in, brought us to his table, and made us family. As followers of Jesus, as children of God, why should we practice hospitality, the love of the stranger? It's because what God has done to us, he now wants to do through us. We were the stranger and the spiritually needy, and he made us family. So I, I want to finish up with actually just a couple, several practical application points that we can take away this morning. And they're kind of simple. There are three things, 
It goes like this. Invite, invite, invite. The three points are all on invitation. And so the first part is we need to invite Jesus in. That is the first point. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, or if you've always felt like you're on the outside, or, or you realize that you've been a stranger to God, Jesus would love to come into your life, but you need to invite him in. In Revelation 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and do what? Eat with him and he with me. And if you've ever heard this passage before, if you've ever wondered, like, why on earth does it say he'll eat with us? That's so interesting. That's so different. Well, it's because it's at the table where real relationship begins and family begins. And it's about being in the family of God. And in the Gospel of John, in the very beginning, it says, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become Children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. It's about family. Jesus is welcoming you into the family, and it starts with inviting him in. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to continue to invite him in. We need to continue to invite Jesus and his hard teachings into our lives and what we see in Matthew and a couple, and I think Luke as well, is there's a rich young man who comes up to Jesus and Jesus gives him a hard teaching. And because of that, this rich young man walks away sad. Inviting into our lives the kind of people that Jesus is, is calling us to and he's telling us to, this is a hard, this is a hard command. It's not easy, but we need to make sure that we're not walking away from passages like this one and either ignoring them or walking away sad, feeling like we just can't do that. And we need to continue to invite Jesus and Jesus' hard teachings into our lives and into our hearts and ultimately into our actions and our choices. We invite Jesus in. That's our first invite. Our second invite Our second invitation comes by recognizing and inviting the group B people in our lives. So we invite group B. So remember, group B were the people that were not like us. They're either physically needy or the spiritual needy, but truthfully, the ones where relationship honestly does not come easy. It does not come naturally. And so first and foremost, we need to remember who we were before Jesus. We need to remember that we were the stranger. We were the lost, the broken, and the needy. We need to remember that Jesus invited us in, into his table, into relationship, and into family. And then we need to look and recognize who the the physically and spiritually needy are in our lives. We need to even, I'd say, inconvenience ourselves in order to maybe find these people, to see these people, and to make time for them, to listen to them, to build relationship with them. And from what I've experienced, uh, 
It means we might need to make more food or food we've never made before. Uh, it might, you know, it, it means often and sometimes possibly exposing our kids to language that they've never heard before or you need to have conversations afterwards about that with them. Uh, it, it means your house will get dirty. It means things will break. It might mean that your house might have a lingering smell afterward. Remember, our subtitle for this series is Redemptive Inconvenience. Group B is what all of us were before. Remember, it was what all of us were before Jesus. What all of us were to God before inviting Jesus in and receiving Jesus' invitation into relationship and family. And Jesus inconvenienced himself to redeem us. And he wants to do that now through us who believe in him. So we need to invite group B. And our last invitation focuses on a word that Jesus says three times in just these two short verses. Repayment. And most specifically, the lack thereof. We invite to bless others. So the third invitation is invite to bless Jesus didn't want us to invite people that would simply return the favor. He wanted us to intentionally focus on the people who couldn't return the favor. He wanted us to give without expecting anything in return. And so we need to ask that question. Who can we bless? Who needs to be blessed? That takes intentionality. That really does take conversation between you and your wife or or others who want to partner together it takes strategy. It, this, this takes good listening to others of their needs and, and perceiving of their needs. Uh, and for what Jesus has in mind, it doesn't just mean a quick fix or quickly solving the problem like, like feeding a hungry person, uh, but rather counting the cost of what, it, of what it truly looks like to bless someone, befriending and inviting into your family those who can give nothing in return. Remember, these are group B people that Jesus is talking about. So they may be conversationally needy. They may have physical needs. Uh, They most probably have spiritual needs. What ways can you bless them? It might be cutting out a lot of time for someone who needs somebody to listen to them. If you have high boundaries, it definitely means uh, letting some of those down to offer true and real friendship into your life. It means blessing someone with relationship. It requires you to listen, to really, truly listen to what someone is saying so that you can notice where someone has physical or monetary needs uh, and then choosing to bless them with what you have. And blessing someone most certainly requires Listening to someone's story. Listening to people's story. Uh, hearing what they've been through. Listening to what, maybe, maybe what lies that they're believing in. And then also praying during this whole time. Asking the Spirit to say, how can I now speak the gospel into these false beliefs? And all of it is for a purpose, to give without expectation of repayment, to invite without any expectation of being blessed in return, and to invite with the pre-planned goal in mind of saying, how can we bless the people that we invite? Of being a blessing to them. We invite to bless. 
So invite, invite, invite. Invite Jesus in, invite group B, invite to bless. One of the more uh, remarkable things about Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, um, it was his ability to see those who were in need. Uh, the, the physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually, uh, and, and invite them into real relationship and make them feel like family. He had a gift for that. And I, and I think that's why so many of us uh, maybe kept coming back to his TV home uh, because he didn't make us feel like strangers and he definitely demonstrated love. And from what I understand, he learned that from Jesus. We were the stranger, the spiritually poor and sick and needy and broken, spiritually lame and blind, And Jesus took us in, invited us to his table, and made us family. We practice hospitality, xenophilia, the love of the stranger, inviting them into our tables and into our families, this redemptive inconvenience, because that is what Jesus did for us. And that is what Jesus wants to do through us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for loving us so much that you saw past um, all of the neediness, all the failure, all the brokenness, all the ways that we were separated from you um, because of our sin, because of the, our selfishness, because of so many things, uh, Father, that you, we were the stranger to you and, and and that your love for us, your love for us, the stranger, brought us, uh, brought us to your table. Um, the, the, that table of, of communion, really, uh, of Jesus' body and blood broken for us. Um, that what Jesus was symbolically showing us at that table was what he had done for us. So Father, by Jesus' blood, by his broken body for us, Uh, you purchased us, you redeemed us, you gave us value, and you brought us into your family, those who would believe in Jesus, to be called children of God. Father, I ask that you would help us remember that identity. Remember that identity so that when we see the stranger, the one that's hard to get along with, the one that's not like us in our own lives, and the one who's separated from you, the one who's still a stranger, yet from you. Father, I ask that you would move our hearts in such a way that we would be reminded of what we were before Jesus Christ, of who we were before Jesus Christ. And Father, that you would work through us, that, that what you have done for us, that we would seek to do for others by bringing them to your table, by bringing them into real relationship in our lives, bringing them into family in our lives, so that they know that there is a heavenly Father who loves them more than we could ever conceive of. And so Father, I ask that for those that are in our lives that you know already uh, whether we know them yet or not whether we've seen them yet or not that you would lead our hearts and you would open our eyes open our ears so that we could see them and that you would also empower us by your Holy Spirit to love them to break our hearts in the same way that your, your heart breaks for those who don't know you and that we would open up our homes and open up our tables and open up our families the way that Jesus taught us to do. Father, let let no hard teaching of Jesus pass us by. But please, uh, 
let us first and foremost invite Jesus in and his hard teachings and so that we can walk in that way. And we pray this all in the powerful, holy name of Jesus. Amen.